Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. All right, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Miked, the official podcast of St. Michael Catholic Church, Gastonia, North Carolina. I am your host, Shane Page, the Director of Evangelization at this great parish, and I am joined today by a special guest, Dr. Richard Della Sola. Uh, you've been at our parish for about how long now? A little over a year. A little over a year. Mm-hmm. So, and you are a professor at Belmont Abbey. That's correct. And uh, what do you teach? I teach psychology, uh, a number of courses, so intro to psych, developmental psych. I teach some counseling courses and abnormal psychology as now, well. And you also provide some services for people here um, for, on marriage counseling. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. So I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, that's my trade or kind of what I'm clinically trained to do. Um, and I see about 10 clients a week. Uh, most of my clients are Catholic. I work for a Catholic practice. It's called Transfiguration Counseling. Oh, interesting. So I, I brought you on for a reason to talk about <laughs> marriage. And you're going to help me uh, answer the question why uh, Catholics should not get married. I'm kidding. <laughs> but I've got to be a little bit provocative. Uh, but you have been a part or were a part of a uh, series on Donuts and Dogma, which is our Sunday morning faith formation for adults. Correct. And there's been a series on chastity and, 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 and human sexuality. And you presented on Sunday about what was it, cohabitation? It was cohabitation and, and, and premarital sex. And premarital sex. Can you give uh, our listeners a little bit of uh, a taste of what that was about? Sure. It was a fun talk. <laughs> um, and so uh, my main goal in doing that talk was to present some of the reasons why society, culture gives us for saying that this is a good thing. You should cohabit. You should live together before marriage. Uh, one, one of the staggering statistics was that um, I think it's about 60% of people have cohabited, if you take a poll of the general mm-hmm. population, and about 85% of people think it's okay. They mm-hmm. condone it or even promote it. Uh, so I wanted to give a Catholic approach to the idea of cohabitation and premarital sex, but I also wanted to approach it from a, I'm, I would be hesitant to say secular side of it, but I'm tra- I was trained at a secular institution, so I've seen the research that non-Catholics are doing and a lot of the non-Catholic research also points to it being a bad thing. So I wanted to point mm. it out from a Catholic and a non-Catholic perspective. Why is that then? Why? I mean, because you, you would, from a secular standpoint, it would seem to make sense to live with someone with whom you were thinking about living the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. What, are some of the, what are some of the data telling us? Uh, the data tells us that it's not a good idea largely because, and I guess this is one of the leading theories, it's called sliding versus deciding. Uh, this is a researcher by the name of Scott Stanley who developed this. And what he said is if you live together before marriage, so let's say that you fall in love with a person, you're head over heels, maybe you've been dating for a year or two years, and then you realize, huh, it would just be way easier to live together. We'd save money, it would just be more convenient, we wouldn't have to go back and forth to each other's places. So that happens, and then before you know it, maybe you're sharing finances, a dog, a cat, uh, and a lot of other big things. And um, he says you essentially at that point slide into the decision of marriage or slide into marriage rather than making a declaration of we are getting married. So it's more of a, a matter of convenience rather than a affirmative, I love this person enough to sacrifice for them the rest of my life. Okay. Well, let's, I mean, let's just go to the, the, the primary question that I, I brought you on to help us 
think about, and, and that is why should we get married? <laughs> I mean, seriously, I, I remember there was a, uh, a professor of mine, been very influential in my life, uh, Dr. Stanley Harawas, and uh, he was the uh, prof- uh, Christian ethics professor at Duke Divinity School, but before then he taught at Notre Dame. Okay. So he was uh, non-Catholic teaching at a Catholic institution, mm-hmm. and he would ask that question to his students, like, why should Christians get married? And there was a wide array of, of responses. All of them were wrong. <laughs> you know, some people would say, for instance, he would joke about how most of the, the, the students would say, well, it's, it's, it, it helps you prevent loneliness. And he says, well, get a dog. <laughs> yeah, that, that can help prevent loneliness. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I do think it is something that we should really consider. Why should we get married? How would you begin to answer that question? Mm. I want to say that that's, first of all, such an important question to ask, and it seems too obvious at first glance, but not enough people are asking themselves that question. You know, we just talked about a few moments ago, people not realize, like they just, it's just something you do when you're in your early, mid-20s, maybe you're in your late 20s, and you're like, oh man, this is a life thing I need to do, rather than this is something that is a sacrament that I need to really discern well about. Uh, so the question, why should I get married, is vital because and I'm going to actually go to the end of some of the work I've done or some of the end of the marital process. Mm-hmm. So I've done work with annulments, which is a tough process. Oh, yeah. And one of the, uh, the key themes that comes out of my, my job working with folks with annul- going through annulments is that they look back on their previous marriage and they say, like, it was just what I thought I should do when I was 25. And it just seemed like... She was Catholic, I was Catholic, we should just get married. And they didn't ask that question, why am I actually getting married beyond, she seems pretty cool. Right, I have these feelings. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Uh, So I think it's crucial to ask that um, because this is a sacrament and it's a vocation. It's not just another Okay, talk to us about that. It's a a sacrament because that really is going to get to the heart of uh, what we should be thinking about as Catholics about this. It's a sacrament. Mm -hmm. Explain what that means. Yes, it's a way that God uh, conveys grace to us. Um, And so, you know, we think about other sacraments, baptism, the Holy Eucharist, things like that. So we think about those sacraments and we think about how God gives us grace through those means. Um, So when you say, I do at the altar, it's it's not just merely like a civil agreement. It's God, you know, sealing this union. And that's not, it's an indelible seal. It's not a seal that you can erase or undo. Uh, And so when we think about that discernment process, it's not just, um, we're going to get some tax breaks. Um, We're going to be able to buy a house because we have two incomes. It's, this is sealed in the eyes of God. And And if I want to get out of it one day, like some people go into marriage thinking, well, there's always an out. You know, there's always a way out if it doesn't go well. And even some Catholics think that. And that's an important thing to know. Yes, I think that's important. One of the things that I discovered or am discovering uh, since I'm no longer a Protestant, but when I was a Methodist pastor, as you know, in a lot of Protestant traditions right now, there's some confusion about marriage and what it's for. And I really think that you can trace back the confusion. And what we're seeing happening is that in the Protestant tradition, marriage was never understood to be sacramental. Exactly. And if it's not sacramental, then it almost becomes just a product of the state, and you're just there to bless this state union. Exactly. 
which means nothing is really happening. But what we're saying in the Catholic Church is, no, God instituted marriage Mm -hmm. in Genesis. He promises that he's going to be like a groom to the bride Israel. Jesus comes as the bridegroom. The church is now his bride. That when a man and woman say, I do, at the altar, something is happening. Mm -hmm. It's not just uh, the ratification of some sort of contract. Mm -hmm. Like something is happening in our souls. Absolutely in that moment what is happening then uh what's happening is is two becoming one and not just in an, like an abstract sense and that's where i think we tie in the idea of sexuality a bit too so when we think about when i was talking about cohabitation and premarital sex in that talk um one of the po- the, the big points i made was so I, I put up a slide on um what is marriage and then the next slide was what is sex mm-hmm. and i kept the slides the same and I just changed the titles because it's literally marriage is two becoming one and sex in a sense is two becoming one. And so the idea there is it's not something that is, um, and I don't want to uh, do it to overgeneralize, you know, what other people think about marriage, but um, it's, you know, if we think about non-Catholic Christian marriage, like you said, I like the way you put it, it's a blessing on a civil thing. Basically. Right. Okay. So, so it's a pastor blessing you at the altar and that's about it right and, and nothing else is really happening exactly uh but when something happens you know when we say i do from a sacramental sense it is literally two becoming one and that cannot be undone in the same way that christ gave himself perfectly for the church mm-hmm. and that will never be undone either yeah i think so so marriage is a theological enterprise mm-hmm. i remember when i would do premarital counseling uh from time to time I would kind of say tongue-in-cheek when a couple would come to me and say, well, we're, we're getting married because we love each other so much. And that's great. That's great. But I would, I would say, well, really, that doesn't matter at this point. And I'm reminded, I cannot remember who it was. I think it was the late Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. Uh, he was uh, the rabbi, chief rabbi of Great Britain. He's written some fantastic books that I just have eaten up. But I think he was the one who says that love is not the cause of a marriage love is the result Mm. of a marriage in other words you don't know what love truly is until after Mm. the union has occurred because it's going to change and that really marriage for the christian is a school of discipleship does that make sense it's like in a marriage, yes, we, we love each other. Yes, there's, there's union, there, there, there's sexuality, there are all the goods. But at its heart, from the Christian standpoint, thinking theologically about it, we are learning to love one another the way Christ loves us. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you spend a little time on that? Yeah. Uh, I, one quote that comes to mind is St. Is John Paul II talking about freedom. You know, he talks a lot about that. And freedom's not doing what we like, it's doing what we ought to do. And when you say I do, doing what I ought to do is sacrifice. It's self-sacrifice. And going back to your initial question of why get married, I don't want to sacrifice, you yeah, know? that's right. Like, I want to do what I, I was doing prior. You know, like, and I, I have a picture of myself um, before my wife and I got married. Um, I was living by myself. I had my own job. I had my own apartment. Um, I had my little own personal movie nights. I'd get my own snack and sit on the recliner. And it was just so convenient yeah. and nice. And quiet I got to do whatever I wanted to do um, and then you get married and it's this radical shift of you're not just living for yourself anymore you're living for your spouse 
And if you're living in a way that's open to life sexually, you're living for future progeny. <laughs> then they come into the picture. Now you're living for a bunch of other people, not just yourself. Uh, so I think it really comes down to that idea of sacrifice right, and like that school of discipleship idea I love. Uh, because you don't know what love is until you're actually sacrificing and giving because our lives are gifts. St. John Paul II says, our lives don't make sense unless we offer ourselves as gifts because our very lives were gifts. Yeah, I remember there was an, an article, this is going back 20, 25 years, and I will totally bungle the actual, what it said. This is a, a rough paraphrase. But I remember there was a, an author who was describing a couple, I think they had been married over 50 years now, and she was in the room with with uh, with them, and I think it was the husband who was more or less bedridden, mm. and asked the wife, "Can you help me sit up?" Mm. And the author of this article extrapolated from that moment, like here they were as young people, like I love you so much, dancing together, mm. to now saying, "Help me sit up," wow. and and then the author said that that's probably what real love is. Oh, yeah. It is getting to the point where you can say help me sit up, mm -hmm. which is a total transformation of the early love. So that's why you could say that love is the result of a marriage, not the cause of a marriage. Romance is good. Yes. I mean, that, that sets the stage, but it is a lifelong transformation. And if it comes down to sacrifice, would it be safe to say that marriage in the context of the Christian is a form of carrying the cross. I mean, it is self-denial. Mm -hmm. It is learning to will the good of another outside of yourself. You're making a great case for marriage, right? Sacrifice, self-denial, yeah. <laughs> denying yourself and, and sacrificing fully for another person. But that was what Jesus Christ did, right? That's exactly, that's precisely what he did to, to, to a, a, in a perfected way, in a perfect way. Right. We'll never attain that. But um, that's what makes this so beautiful. And that story you, you gave reminded me of one. Um, my grandparents, they're both deceased now, but my, my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, um, he was diagnosed with severe de dementia, I think about in his mid to late 70s, to the point where he didn't recognize any of his grandchildren. He ended up not remembering or recognizing any of his own children. Mm -hmm. And then the, the last person he sort of was able to recognize was his wife, my grandmother. And so my grandmother grew up in Brooklyn, um, she, Brooklyn, New York. She uh, never learned how to drive. She took the bus everywhere. Uh, so when my grandfather was in this senior center or this, this nursing home getting very intensive care because he couldn't do anything on his own, my grandmother would take the senior citizen bus five days a week to his nursing home. She would help give him sponge baths. She would sing to him. She would shave his face mm -hmm. and joyfully. I mean, there were tough days, don't get me wrong, but, but she knew that's, that was her vocation, was marriage, and, and to sacrifice till the very end. And my grandfather didn't fully even understand how much she was serving him, and that's another key point, is we don't do this for the praise from our spouse. We don't do this for acclamation. We don't do it um, to feel good about ourselves. It's solely for the good of the other. Uh, so then would it be wrong, I'm just thinking here out loud, and spontaneously, what could go wrong, right? Um, would it be wrong then to think of marriage as Catholics as a form of self-fulfillment? Like that's the wrong position to take at the onset. And the reason I say that is because if you think about it from the standpoint of a sacrament, now you're one, it's indelible, this is permanent. You don't know then what's gonna happen in the future 
um, that it's fraught with risk. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you, I remember saying to some couples that you know the the person you're marrying today or next uh, month or or a year from now could be a uh, a paraplegic. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, life is going to change. It's going to change. And we think of all, all, always in uh, negative terms. That's not to say that, but that this is not going to be the same person I am marrying on the altar that the person I am really going to be married to is yet to be. Mm-hmm. Does that, does that yeah. you, are you following me yeah. there? Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, uh, I'm thinking of um, when you said self-fulfillment. I think we could view marriage as self-fulfillment if we are very nuanced about it and we replace self-fulfillment with maybe like holiness, like yes. growing in holiness. Right. Technically, you can make the case that that's a form of self-fulfillment, like we're becoming better people if we're becoming more holy. Uh, we have to put an asterisk next to self-fulfillment, though. Yeah. We have to be really careful about how we define it. Yeah, so that, so that would mean then, you know, if, if you're not married to the same person 10 years from now that you are today... And how long have you been married now? Six and a half years. Six and a half years. I've been married for 20. And I'm not the same. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not the same person. And my wife is not the same person. Then doesn't it follow that we always marry the wrong person? (laughs) And that we should always say that to premarital couples. Like you're marrying the wrong person. And by which we mean the person you're marrying today is not going to be the same person later. Mm -hmm. And that's the risk of marriage. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's why we have to think of doing this. In, in, in the context of doing God's will in, ter- in terms of discipleship, mm-hmm. learning how to love someone who is yet to be. I mean, we're always in the process of becoming, and it just pops the balloon of this false narrative that the person I'm marrying today is somehow going to complete me. We're both, in, we're both evolving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's dangerous. It's a dangerous thought, <laughs> it's a da- right? Yes. Uh, and there's... Um, so one of the, the uh, terrific gentlemen who was on my dissertation committee a couple of years ago, his name is Brad Wilcox, Dr. Brad Wilcox. He works at, um, out of UVA. Um, so he does a lot of work. And, um, and what drew me to ask him to be on my dissertation committee, at least partially, was an article he wrote, a published article about um, the soulmate view of love. Oh, yeah. Let's get into that. Yeah. <laughs> and how dangerous that is. Uh, so just, just to define our terms, the soulmate view of love, generally speaking, would be there's one person in the world who's destined for me. I am destined for her. She is destined for me. And until I find that person, I haven't found the right person, right? There's one person predestined to be my wife, and she is perfect for me. Uh, why is that dangerous? Well, for reasons you just stated and a whole lot more, right? So if, we, if that's true, let's just think about take this to the end. If that's true, then number one, love is not romantic anymore. Hmm. And, and here's what I mean by that. Um, if the world, if the universe has already picked one person for you and it's just a matter of the universe placing them, you know, around you in your 20s or 30s, um, what's romantic about just getting the person you were supposed to get all along and not having to sacrifice anything to get that person? Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, and I've heard someone else, another Catholic uh, uh, guy say this, is that uh, it's much more romantic to enter into a union with someone when you acknowledge exactly what you just said, which is, she, she seems pretty great. She's going to change a lot. We're going to face a lot of hardship. This is going to be tough. I, I do. I still do. Yeah. I mean, so do you renounce the narrative of the soulmate? I caution a lot of the people I work with. So a decent amount of the, the clients I work with, they're doing marriage discernment. 
So they're thinking about who do I want to be married to? Um, is this person the right person for me? And that's one thing I always caution them against is uh, and one way of putting it. And again, there'd be more nuance to this, but you could technically be successfully married to thousands of people. Well, I mean, really, <laughs> At one time, arranged one marriages was the norm right? Mm -hmm. for centuries in the ancient world. They were arranged. Nobody fell in love with each other. They didn't court or date for a number of time. It mm -hmm. was just an arranged marriage, and yet they lasted. Right. I, I, I mean, I'll say I totally renounced the soulmate idea. I mean, the scriptures, the New Testament, I think it's in Colossians, Paul says that we are complete in the Lord. We are complete. It is the Lord Jesus who is our soulmate. If you really want to get down yeah. to it, <laughs> yeah. we are we are only complete in Christ. And so no spouse, however wonderful our spouses are, and we love our spouses dearly, would die for them, lay down our lives for them. They cannot complete us. And if we always marry the wrong person, by which I mean we're marrying someone who is going to be new to us 10 years from now, five years from now, then that can't, that can't hold water. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting. A lot of premarital prep and premarital discernment programs, formal or informal programs, will have the engaged couples list things that annoy them about the other. Um, just to start thinking critically about, you know, like these are not perfect people. They're gonna, we each bring our own baggage, our own stuff into the marriages and just be prepared for that. And another one of my mentors um, who is big into marital counseling said something that I think has held water, has been true in most, if not all of my experiences. And he said that the things that annoy you about the other, you have like, typically such low expectations for those things that you end up making peace with them because they're not ever usually as bad as you think. But it's the things that you love and appreciate about them that end up annoying you a little bit more mm. because they become more pronounced. So all the, all the studies on personality show that we become more of who we are as we get older. So personality is highly influenced by genetics. Of course, there's some nurture in there as well, but it's highly determined by genetics, what we get from our parents. Uh, and so let's say that you are high in agreeableness as a personality trait, you're going to become more agreeable as you get older. That's, that's what typically what this, the studies and the theory would show. So for example, I'll use my wife and I for an example. One of the things I loved about my wife when we were dating is she, I saw so I'm an introvert, <laughs> definitely. And she's an extrovert. She loves being around people. And so I love that about her. I said, oh, she'll get me out of my shell a little bit. We'll go out more. We'll meet more people. And now her being an extrovert is like a threat to my safety sometimes. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, I get it. It's like, oh, we, I'd be like, uh, Krista, my wife, Krista, like, we, we've hit our quota for times being out this week. Maybe we should stay home, you know? And so it's those things that, like, we love about them that actually can push our boundaries a little bit. Um, all of this to say is that we need to be prepared for these things beforehand that we, that, like, we've talked about. Uh, it's not going to be a walk in the park. There's going to be challenges. Oh, no. I, I, uh, I joke with people. Uh, you know, my wife is just so wonderful. And she, she's got such a servant's heart, and she's very holy, and she, she, she weeps when she's praying. She would not want me saying that, but she's someone who has the gift of tears, mm -hmm. and I have none of that. I'm like, wow. You know, but, but the first few years of my marriage exposed me for who I really was. Mm -hmm. like, I never realized how selfish I was mm -hmm. until I was married. And uh, just all of my flaws were just out in the open mm -hmm. with this person. It wasn't intentional, but I guess I had to see it, and my marriage has helped reform me mm -hmm. as a human being in the Lord. Yes. Um, I mean, are, is, does that resonate with you? I mean, is, can we think of marriage as like an exposure? It's, like, it's a mirror. <laughs> it, it, yeah. 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 I mean, it exposed me too, and it still is, right, every day. Um, the things that, um, 
you know, you get away with, so to speak, when you're not dating or you're not married, especially um, those directly impact those around you and you live under the same roof. So it's not like they're hard to conceal those imperfections. And again, that speaks to the, the idea of sacrifice, that we're sacrificing to help each other get each other to heaven. I mean, that's, you know, we talk about what's the and point okay. of marriage, getting each other to heaven. Well, let's get into that. So really the ultimate question then is like, why should Catholics get married? It comes down to Jesus. You know, can I, am I called to this and can I be a better disciple? Because when I think of marriage, I think that it can help me and those called to it to practice the virtues that Jesus calls us to exercise. I mean, for instance, you know, he says things like love your neighbor. Okay, well, my, my spouse is my neighbor. Mm -hmm. But he also says love your enemy. And can't your spouse be the same? <laughs> you know, at, at times your spouse is your enemy. And, and that we must forgive 70 times, seven times, just this constant, I mean, forgiveness is what holds a marriage together because it's perpetual forgiveness. Mm -hmm. um, we just learn to love as Christ loves us and it's, it transcends our emotions. It comes down to the will and I'm, I'm talking too much. I remember I, I once uh, gave a sermon on the vows. This was in the Methodist tradition where you asked the, the bride and the groom, like, will you love one another? Will you comfort? Will you, and forsaking all others, uh, will you remain faithful to each other as long as you shall, you shall live? And I remember saying, notice that the church does not ask, do you love? Or do you care? It is, will you love? Will you comfort? I mean, that's future tense, which means real love in a marriage comes down to the will. You got to do it. Um, and it's, it is, it's greater than your feelings. We just don't put a lot of stock in feelings. And you shouldn't, in a, in a Christian marriage, call to self-denial and call to forgiveness, to forgive one another so that we can love as Christ loves us because Christ didn't feel like loving us. He did it because of who he was. Mm -hmm. Right, and, and Christ's love for us was not simply a feeling. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't just an affection. Um, of course, there was that, but it was far deeper than that. Yeah. And so the things that hold us together, and this is something I work on, and actually the bulk of my research was on value and goal congruence and how that predicts couple stability in a marriage. And so making sure, um, and so this is, um, it's connected to getting the couple to heaven, and it's also um, how do we think about this from the very beginning when we're discerning marriage. Uh, it's making sure that you know very well what the sacrament means. And so you know that you're getting into something where the goal is to get your spouse to heaven. Because if you're helping get your spouse to heaven, then you're probably helping yourself get to heaven Okay, too. so your life is no longer about you anymore exactly. at marriage. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's this idea and, and going to the idea of um, kind of how to, how to go about this. Like what are some of the dispositions or traits that one could possess? Uh, it's really interesting because as a someone who I consider myself to be a Catholic therapist, um, so I incorporate some of the, the secular non-Catholic theory that holds water and, and coheres with or, or you know, aligns with our truth. Um, but I also, of course, place a huge sock in prayer and, and, and our cardinal virtues and things like that. Um, the, the secular research would say three of the main virtues that we should seek after are uh, forgiveness, gratitude, and humility. Mm -hmm. So that is non-Catholic, just non-Christian theory on what makes someone happy. They call it subjective well-being. I mean, if you look at those three words, first of all, like what is the Bible? It's like those three words, right? 
in Jesus Christ and more, of course. But um, and then uh, we have those cardinal virtues, and we need to be prudent, right, as being the, the the king of the virtues. So that means knowing what we're getting into, right. That's key to me is knowing very well what the vocation of marriage entails, mm-hmm. and not being surprised when you totally surprised at least when you get into marriage and you realize, oh, this isn't like the rom com hitch or something like that. It's not. It's not a romantic comedy. It's not where it's not anything like I've seen. It's actually embodied in like I don't know the sorrowful mysteries. Oh, you're it's it's a mess. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and it's live. It's just daily life. Mm-hmm. You know, the daily grind, the humdrum of things. But isn't that where faithfulness is often forged mm-hmm. um, in the dailiness of of life? You know, I've got another question though. Then, if since marriage is really the school of discipleship, it's where we learn how to love as Christ loves us. I think we can both agree on there. That really does, I think, have implications on what children are for. We really can't get into that. But they're about Jesus too, mm-hmm. not just to have because that'll fulfill us, which is not true, although we love our children. Why is it then that so often, even especially in the church, we kind of think, well, I guess I'll grow up, I'll get married. But when you read the New Testament, you have Paul. I mean, I can imagine St. Paul coming before uh, the congregation and standing behind the ambo or the pulpit saying, why are there so many married people here in the church? <laughs> this is not, Please explain to me why all of you people are getting married because we never really think about this. Mm-hmm. But Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 says that the, the, the better way is the way of, of singleness. Mm-hmm. Do, do you know what, uh, you know that passage I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. So why do we never talk about that, that really the default vocation in the Bible is singleness? And we never really talk about singleness a lot uh, as a really a form of vocation. Mm-hmm. We talk about marriage, we talk about the religious life, but isn't singleness also a part of this? But anyway, go back to the first question. Like, yeah. Can you imagine Paul saying like, please explain to me why we have so many married people here because I specifically said it is better not to marry mm-hmm. uh, than it is to marry. And we'll get into, of course, reasons why marriage is a great, wonderful thing too. Yeah, you might, at St. Michael's, you might have a few people walking out mid, <laughs> mid-homily, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, no offense, St. Paul. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, well, let's think about it. So uh, marriage is difficult. That's been the general theme. And so I think what he's essentially saying is, are you prepared to, to enter into such a sacrifice that can, can, has the potential to take your eyes off of Christ? That's right. Because... If you like, I'm gonna. I'll speak personally. Like I, you know, I love praying the rosary with two young children. You know, married, a couple jobs. It's really hard to get a rosary in sometimes. It's really hard. Like I have all these fantastic visions for what my like, what I would like for my spiritual life is to me for me to wake up at 5 a.m. every morning, go to our home altar, start praying, and be so deep and meditative in prayer that I start elevating in the sky right and like I start having like I there's a Marian apparition and like there's all these things but more often it's like okay I've been up four times tonight with our daughter and I'm tired and I have to go to work in an hour and like let me see if I could sneak a couple decades in on the way to work you know things like that so I think that's that's the start of the conversation is it's really difficult yeah I mean Paul says that he says that uh, the the unmarried person can really unmarried Christian uh, disciple can focus on the Lord but the married person will be distracted by the cares of this life. And then he says, but I would spare you that. (laughs) Well, but there is, and of course, marriage is a great and high vocation. I just have, I've always been a little confused about why 
we never really talk about singleness because there are a lot of single Christians mm-hmm. as well who may find, well, am I deficient? Is there something wrong with me? I don't feel called to marriage. I haven't met anybody. And I certainly don't feel called to the religious life. Is my state of life just as valid? And, and from the scriptural standpoint, the church's standpoint is yes. Mm-hmm. You know, singleness is also a great good. I'm really glad you brought that up because I I, I work with some clients who have that same concern. You know, I'm, uh, I consider myself a devout Catholic. I practice my faith. Like, I know I'm not perfect, but like, I feel like, there's nothing like there's nothing crazy wrong with me where I shouldn't have found someone at this point and I shouldn't be pursuing or I should I, I wish I wasn't inhibited from from pursuing this vocation. I want to make a quick plug in there mm-hmm. for one thing we're seeing in the church and this for anyone listening. I think this is a call to arms, so to speak, for our faith, which is there's a lot of there's far more devout Catholic women, single Catholic women out there than there are devout single Catholic men. Hmm. And so a lot of single, devout Catholic women are just having trouble. It's a numbers game. It's a numbers game. And so that's, I guess, maybe for women, if there's any single women who hope to be married, this is a, hopefully, I want to empathize with you and say, it's it's tough. It's really tough in a lot of, especially like in a lot of places where there isn't a thriving Catholic culture. Um, And so... There's nothing wrong with you, right? This, the, it, and then for, for Catholic men, if you're listening and you're like, you know, I'm thinking about being Catholic, but it seems like it, it, it takes a lot of effort and time to be Catholic. Yes, it does. And yes. please do it. Uh, it's needed. It's sorely needed. And those are, the, those are the men that the women are looking for who they can't find. Um, and those are the men we need just generally, too. But but to speak to the idea of singleness, it is a it's still a beautiful vocation, and I and I know yeah, like it's the vocation of our Lord Himself exactly, and and I know we're not we're not necessarily talking about religious, but think about the blessing of all the priests, you know, the priests in your life and my life. Like there was a I, I'm a revert, I'm a Catholic revert, so there was a priest in Manhattan, Kansas, by the name of Father Gail Hammerschmidt, who ministered to me during my reversion. Uh, Father Rossi, of course, we all know and love, and the the, the amazing impact he has here. So these are single people. I know they're religious, but they're single people bringing so many people to Christ. And, it, and, and it's not limited to those who are a dedicated religious. Uh, it, it's not reserved just for those folks. Yeah. And I, I do remember when um, the seminarian over the summer, uh, over the summer Christopher Ankermeyer, I think his name was, and I got a chance to meet him. You know, he talked about how you can even pursue the religious life or the priesthood without being asked the question, what do you think about marriage? Uh, and you, and the response is, it's a wonderful thing, and it's something that I would actually desire. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think there needs to be a word of encouragement for those who are unmarried, mm-hmm. um, that there is nothing deficient about you. Exactly. Because our, our ultimate union finally will be with the Lord and mm-hmm. is with the Lord. And Jesus himself said that we will neither be married nor given in marriage um, in heaven uh, mm-hmm. because we will have full union with the one for whom our soul was truly made. Amen. Yeah. yeah. And, and one thing I encourage folks, um, and it's easier said than done for, you know, speaking as someone, you know, we're both married. And um, so I want to acknowledge that. But when you're not married and you, you're desiring the vocation of marriage, one big question I have for people is just basically, where's your prayer life? Are you staying steadfast in your faith? For those reasons you just mentioned. You know, like when you're, if God has has designed for you the vocation of marriage, when that person comes into your life, not soulmate, but person who, who could be a good fit, 
um, what kind of Catholic are they, are they going to find? Mm-hmm. You know, how dedicated to the Lord will you be? How ready will you be for that vocation? Oh, that's good. I, I, rem- I remember saying to someone once, this is years ago, who was single, and I was basically given the same spiel that I'm giving now, that singleness is a, is a valid uh, station in life. I would say, and I was drawing on the words of Thomas Merton, who somewhere said, like, woe, woe to the person who cannot be alone. He will be miserable in community. Mm. You know? yeah, I like that. But uh, blessed are those who can be comfortable alone. They will also be comfortable in community. And I would say to the, the single person, like, how are you now living your singleness? Mm-hmm. Are you finding fulfillment in it now? Mm-hmm. Because if you can, you will find fulfillment in, communi- in the community of marriage. But That's if right. you're restless in, in, in your singleness now, you'll be still restless in marriages now. Does that resonate with you? Does that make sense? Did I give good counsel? Yeah. Is, is Thomas Merton making sense there? You and Thomas Merton, I think, both making good sense. Yeah, it's, it's all about you know, the, the idea that, and this is one, um, one question, another hypothetical question I might ask someone in that position is, um, and it's not limited to this situation, it's, it's whenever someone's almost hyper-focused on getting X, whatever that thing is. So um, until I get blank, I won't be happy, fill in the blank, right? And so if your answer is until I'm married, I won't be happy, well, that's a warning sign, right? That, that's, that's your soul being restless, that's, that's you desiring something more than first and foremost union with Jesus Christ because that needs to come, you know, in theory, it should and come before a marriage, a sacramental marriage. Well, it's almost like a resistance to your station in life now, you right. know, that, that God should be um, ministering my life in a different way. You know, just all the great saints, that, that no matter where they were in the now, they were able to rest in it. So that means they were they would be restful in whatever circumstances they faced in the future. Mm-hmm. But we do tend to project if I you know I will be complete if I had something else in life. But that never happens. That always eludes us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And I think that's a good question to ask all of us, whether we're married or unmarried. Is until I get X, you know, I won't be happy. And everyone has that thing. Everyone has that vice or that thing they struggle with. You know, I, I love Lord of the Rings, so I think about what's your ring? That's sometimes the question I ask people, what's your ring? What's the thing that you can't let go of? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there needs to be you know, what I describe as like an open hand. And the, the, the metaphor, I guess you could say, that I often use is when you do a water balloon toss, you have two people tossing a water balloon back and forth. If you do that to try to catch it, it's gonna explode mm-hmm. and you lose the game. There needs to be like a soft, gentle gra- grasp on that thing that, which you want. Uh, so if it's a vocation of marriage, yes, hold it open gently with open hands, saying, God, you know that I want this. You know, let me hold it in the right way. Because I don't want to say, single folks, forget about marriage. You just have to be single and be happy with it, right? No, it's a great and beautiful thing to desire it. It's just rightly ordered, a right, right desire. Yeah. So in the last uh, couple minutes we have here, as you're giving uh, counseling to some to married couples, where do you see the, the sources of healing coming in? Like what, like what is happening when you're seeing marriages finally experiencing you know, the, the gift of healing? What's happening? That's a great question. And I think one of the, the myths that I want to dispel, too, is you know, I'm a Catholic therapist. I see mostly Catholic clients. So that necessarily means I see Catholic couples, right? So just getting married to a good Catholic person does not mean like, oh, pro- you know, oh, game's yeah, over. Sure. It's easy now, right? Because then, then the battle is what we've been talking about is how do I sacrifice well? How do I give of self? 
So one thing, you know, I, I meet with couples who are struggling with lots of conflict, you know, a lot, lot of arguments and disagreements. And there's a lot that would be another. Be a, we could do a few podcasts on that. I think it'd be interesting. But uh, in short, I tell them a lot of the things we've been saying. Um, I, one of the first things I review to them is like, number one, how's your prayer life? Are you praying? Well, how's your individual prayer life and how is your couple prayer? Are you praying together and are you praying individually? Um, one of the things I love, and this is a quick side note, but one of the things I love is you see the fruits of um, living out the faith well manifest in uh, our bodies and our brains. So if you can get to a place where you're praying fairly well, you're practicing impulse control, you're practicing patience, mindfulness, like all those things that are quote unquote like secular ideals, we just call those like good emotional health. And so that's one of the things I love about our Lord is that uh, the things that we do in our prayer lives, for example, pay clear dividends in our emotional lives too. So that, that's a quick side note, but I, I asked the couples about their prayer lives. And um, I also want just one little tip I give them is what I call a mercy pause. So if you're, if you feel like you've been wronged by your spouse, you feel like they've, you've, uh, an injustice has been done against you, uh, to reflect on one of those sorrowful mysteries, let's say, and reflect on the fact that you actually got into marriage for that, not to avoid it. Now I'm not, I'm not endorsing like couples be mean to each other because that's what you got into this for. But if marriage itself was perfect and easy, there would be very little virtue. Yeah, you could not be formed in virtue. Exactly. Oh, that's good. I think it was St. Catherine of Siena, the great doctor of the church, who said that virtue is always formed in view of its contraries. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I love that because it's put so succinctly. But if you're going to learn patience, you have to be put in situations that try your patience. Mm -hmm. you know, if you're going to be a temperate person, you know, someone mm -hmm. disciplined the appetite, well, that happens in the abundance of food. Mm -hmm. And exactly. uh, that, that, that's good. You're asking for conflict then if you want to be formed in virtue is what you're saying. Yeah, and one of the, so focus, huh. which is one of the premarital, Catholic premarital programs, what they'll even say is that, uh, and the research shows us that is, if couples aren't having tough conversations, they usually don't last. Like the research shows that not engaging in tough conversations and, and, and even conflict is associated with higher marital instability, more marital instability. So it's not a bad thing. It's just how are you going to go about it? Uh, and that's where that, that idea of a mercy pause comes in. So let's say that, um, and let's just let's use a non-marital example. Let's say that you, you said something to me right now that offended me, okay? And let's say that it was, it was um, objectively speaking, like mean, cold-hearted, right? I have two choices. Do something like that right back to you, or what would Christ say? Something like right. turn the other cheek. So the mercy pause would be, okay, Shane is a brother in Christ, right? Um, I'm called to love him as a brother in Christ. Did he do something that was unkind to me? Yes. But what is my mission in life? It's to deal with those things precisely in a, in a Christ-like way. And in a truthful way as right. well. Yeah. So yeah, that goes back to Jesus saying, when a brother offends you, go directly to him eventually. Mm -hmm. And in marriage is the same way. Don't avoid the conflict is exactly. what the Lord is saying. Mm -hmm. Actually uh, approach it and express it and tackle it head on mm -hmm. because that's how reconciliation happens. Right. Yeah. And of course, conflict, I mean, what story does not have conflict? If there's no conflict, there is no story. There's no, it's not an interesting, no one would read a story without conflict. Yeah, yeah. And so marriage and conflict really go together, but that's a part of the story that God is trying to do uh, in us and through us mm -hmm. so that we will be formed in virtue so that we can help each other get to heaven 
marriage as a school of discipleship, I think it would be so much better, a better approach than understanding, you know, marriage as the fulfillment of all of my desire, because not even marriage can accomplish that. Only Christ can do that. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Dr. Della Sola, thank you for joining us on this podcast. Uh, and if anybody is listening to this and they would like to get in touch with you, Mm-hmm. Uh, how can they go about that? Sure, yeah. So I'm not on social media or anything, but um, belmontabbeycollege.edu and my profile is somewhere in there. And then, uh, like I said, I'm a therapist with uh, Transfiguration Counseling, so transfigurationcounseling.com. Well, we're glad to have you. Thanks and for We're glad me. that you joined us for this podcast. If you got, want information about our parish, please visit our web, website at stmccg.org. You can find also my email address and my contact information on the website. Father Rossi will return next week. Uh, but until then, on behalf of Dr. Della Sola, Father Rossi, I am Shane Page. Thank you so much for watching and or listening. We'll see you next time. God bless.